Hi. You may know me as Adam Campbell from Nine Cents. You'd be right. But I wanted to join you in a little different manner today. Because today is a special day. Today, we're alive. That's right, the world was going to end last night. And for those of us who knew all along it wouldn't, well, nothing really has changed. But for everyone else, it's got to be a good day to be alive. Narrowly averted, the end of days. How foolish can people be? It seems their uh, ignorance knows no bounds. But for them, for all of those herds, the, the ignorant masses, if you will, I would like to in my own special way. Congratulate them on living yet another day. They have always provided us with laughable entertainment. Their stupidity entertains us more than anything else. And though I think the world may be better without them, and on some base level, I kind of do wish there was a rapture for them, so we could be rid of them once and for all. It is moments like these, narrowly averted apocalypses, where they can take a look at themselves, and for the briefest of moments, realize how fucking retarded they are. I would like, if I may, take you on a strange journey. <laughs> oh. Okay. Let me welcome you to yet another fantastic show. That's right, this is Nine Cents. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is the 22nd of May, and we're alive! We are alive. It's actually kind of hot in my, my uh, little space here. I have a really, really jam-packed full episode for you today. And I hope you're going to enjoy it. Because I enjoyed collaborating it, collecting it, and delivering it to you today. It is, uh, it is it is special for a number of reasons. We're doing the follow-up interview to Storm uh, Art on You Studios' uh, Pop Print Inkathon. And, in Creature Feature, it is the first of many shows dedicated to or featuring uh, another sister podcast on the Radio Free Satan Network. And today it's The Devil's Mischief, so I'll be talking with the Reverend Bill M., we had a really fantastic conversation last week, and um, I'm excited to bring it to you. And hopefully there'll be going to be uh, more to come from the uh, other fine shows at Radio Free Satan. As for this week, uh, I went hiking yesterday, and uh, I'm sorry, not yesterday, but the day before yesterday, uh, and carried my daughter for three-fourths the trek, and I am fucking still sore and exhausted. 
but we saw some amazing scenery. We took some video. Um, so if you have any interest in seeing the, the sort of uh, places we go hiking, I'm going to be posting that sometime this week on my YouTube account. And you can find that through uh, social networking sites um, or just email me. It It's going to be a good show today. Uh, let me go ahead and jump into it because it is going to be a long show. You're going to get a little bit less of me, a little less FaceTime with me, uh, probably to your liking. But in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about the Satanic Bunko Sheet. In The Infernal Informant, I'm going to be bringing you the interview, um, the post-pop print inkathon interview with Storm from Art on You Studios. And I'm also going to talk to you about Stephen Hawking and his um, belief that there is no heaven. We might have something in common with this guy. And in... Uh, in the Creature Feature, as mentioned already, I'm going to be talking with Reverend Bill M. For, about his show, The Devil's Mischief. We actually talked about Radio Free Satan. We talked about his show. We talked about him, some other projects that he's um, dealt with already, uh, websites and blogs and stuff like that. So, uh, really, I hope you enjoy it. It's good to be around yet another day. <laughs> and I can't wait to meet someone uh, who had any belief in Saturday on Monday. And, uh, you know, just rub in their stupidity a little bit. It's what keeps me going. So how about we just jump right in to the devil's advocate. We are the devil's uh, As I already mentioned, we're going to be talking about the satanic bunko sheet. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, um, on the Church of Satan's website, uh, I feature articles and essays and stuff that that are posted, um, and this is one of them based on Satanism and pseudo-Satanism groups that like to affiliate themselves, and it's just sort of um, a rundown on, on what to expect and what to um, look for in these pseudo-Satanic groups and people, uh, and as usual... Let me start this by saying I'm a member of the Church of Satan. I am a Satanist, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Uh, this web, or this um, this page here, this article, you should really go to the website and read it yourself. I'm going to go over it briefly and just sort of highlight um, key parts of it. Uh, but reading it in its entirety is, is really what you should be doing. Uh, because Anton LaVey has made Satanism so popular... Everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. If you're new to the realm of darkness, suddenly feeling the fires of Satan burning within you, be warned. There are unethical individuals out there who will prey upon you, claim to teach you how to become a great black magician overnight, who will promise instructional fellowship and activities with true masters, who may claim unverifiable links with the Church of Satan or other such lineage. With the continued expansion of the internet, this situation is multiplied geometrically. So your vigilance will continue to be tested as you walk along the cyber midway. Uh, and there's a, a number of uh, things listed here. So, number one, when someone claims to have a direct line of communication with Satan, watch out. That should be pretty fucking obvious. Uh, 
you can't have a direct line of communication with a metaphor, can you? So if you suffer for that one, if you fall for that one, um, you fucking deserve it. Uh, number two, look out for jargon and secrets to which only the initiated can privy. Uh, once you're processed through the lengthy and strictly enforced degree system, you'll discover there are really no answers. Just more gobbledygook. Yeah, and I love this. You know, people say there's degrees of, of information that need to be brought down. And this is actually a really typical one for um, uh, Christianity to do as well. There's degrees of orders of Christianity. That, that with each degree that you step into, you become more enlightened and shit. You shouldn't be looking for Satanism if you're looking for stuff like that, because it's just not a reality. There are enough, you know, crazy occult groups out there that do shit like this. Um, the order, you know, the degree in the order that you are, the more information or, or power you gain and shit. There's stuff like that already. Um, if you're looking for that, go play a fucking game. Earn levels in that. <laughs> it's not reality. Uh, number three, check the copyright date. Much of the esoterica you may receive from supposed masters as wisdom or revelation comes directly from Anton LaVey, the Church of Satan, or our affiliates. You always got to keep in mind that Satanism didn't exist before Anton LaVey created it. Uh, the Church of Satan is his creation. So the entire basis, the, the entire uh, ideas behind it are all his. Um, certainly they are derived from uh, various places you know, throughout his life and his experience in mankind and human nature and stuff, but all, all of the uh, base information and... Um, structure was his manufacture. So when you you know when you find these groups that spout the same information from ages before or or since, well you know it's just not true and it's, it's all come from that one source. For the most parasitic satanic newsletters invariably contain a liberal dose of levee baiting. Their editors' masochistic requirements are exercised as lively exchange. Um, A, uh, as uh, when responding to such transparent tactics, it's our policy to preface rebuttals with two acknowledgments. A, I know you're masochist and delight in hostile banter. And B, anything I write or say to you will keep you going for another six months. The Satanic Bible advises to question all things, but it helps to be able to think first. Five, most pseudo-Satanic groups are short-lived, running out of money, enthusiasm, or suckers before too long. Six, how do they deal with Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan? This is like a, a pretty big one. Um, are you either a Satanist or you're not a Satanist. You either understand the philosophy and it's a part of who you are, or you don't. You don't pick and choose pieces. You know, that's stuff that Christians do, and, and that's just not who we are. You know, this isn't, this isn't information that after time becomes irrelevant. Because it's based in human nature, it's always relevant. It's always been relevant and always will be relevant. So there's no need to say, well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with this. You either do or you don't. And, and that's what defines you as a Satanist or as a, a Satanic group. Uh, be wary of the approach of, you probably aren't smart enough to join us. The only way you can prove them wrong is by joining. Uh, you know, there, there's no Littman's tests. Uh, involved in Satanism. It's representing yourself as a Satanist because you are one. Really, that's it. 
Beware of cults offering sex orgies and drugs, or killing animals in the name of Satan. As you well know, these are not part of satanic practices. Read the Satanic Bible. It's all there. Uh, Nine. Carefully examine any groups who set themselves up as intermediaries between you and Satanism, who claim that they can instruct you on how to be a Satanist. And this kind of goes back to something that has been touted often. You either are or you are not. You're never taught how to be a Satanist. And you learn that by reading the Satanic Bible. It's pretty fucking straightforward. Ten, some other groups to watch out for. A, feminist, Wiccan-oriented, consciousness-raising groups who practice more male-bashing than magic. B, new-age groups that promote Levain concepts but shun the dreaded S-word. C, jargon-laden Christians masquerading as Satanists. D, pen pal or lonely heart social groups pretending to be elitists performing powerful satanic rituals. Um, and then it goes on to say that this is not to say that all groups are counterproductive to Satanism as a movement. There are many which are productive, supportive branches of the Church of Satan, like various divisions of the same army. These distinct grottos and orders may emphasize one satanic image over another, but they're all aligned in communication and working toward the same goals. So there you have it, Satanic Bunko Sheet. I, I did not go over the entire thing, so you should go to the website, read up on it again. And you know what? As it says here uh, at the very last, forewarned is forearmed. Let's go ahead and move on to our interview in the Infernal Informant. Once again, you know what? Now I'm going to call you friend of the show because you've been on once before and now you're friend of the show. Uh, if you come on one more time, I'm going to have to say Nine Senses' own storm. Storm. <laughs> An ownership level. But we're actually in person now. Hopefully the microphone is going to pick us up a lot better. You know, last time it was the cell phone and a, a, a really shitty microphone. And so we've remedied both of those situations. Ideally, this is going to go off without a hitch. Um, and it looks like it's picking up our voices pretty well. So how you doing, Storm? I'm doing well. I, I'm glad to be back on here with you, Adam. Uh, great to be hanging out here in your house and drinking some of your home brew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're lucky it wasn't one of the worst beers. I think the closer I get to bottling to the bottom of the bucket, that's when it starts to get sort of nastier. And, and I think I had one of those earlier, which is why I mentioned that it might be a, a scary proposition to try it. All right. So, you know, let's talk about the pop printing thought I was there. And, and first, let, let me sort of give you my experience. I had planned with about five other people to meet up and go down there. And uh, everyone was on board. Everyone was good to go. I checked Facebook, I think it was like 7.30 or, or 8, or, or maybe 8.30 in the morning, sometime around there, and someone had posted something about, is there a line already, and you said you were going to, uh, you replied to that post saying you were going to go down and find out, and then yes, there was a line, and it was like ridiculously early before the shop even opened for the event, and so I scrambled, and I had my kids scrubbed and washed in the, in the showers, and we rushed our asses down there to stand in line, and None of my other friends were able to make it, like, at all by the time that I was there. Um, and certainly not until later, but, you know, they did sort of roll in throughout the day. Uh, the ones that said they would show up anyway. But I was the only one that brought my kids. Like, I understand, you, you go into a tattoo shop and, you know, kids aren't generally, like, absolutely okay. But it was just awkward having, you know, my two ADHD children standing in line with tons of other people just... Uh, 
and and that was kind of the entertainment of the line. You know, it was weird. And then you came out and you gave your spiel, um, welcoming everyone and thanking them and everything. And it was uh, first time I ever saw in person. Um, and uh, walked right by each other. Uh, it was it was really kind of weird. I wanted to like reach my hand out, but then you were sort of in your meet and greet mode. And right. I didn't, I, I didn't want to enter. No, I I wouldn't mind at all. I think it's <laughs> fabulous that there are that many people that recognize me, whether it's the first time they've seen me and only seen me before on Facebook, or whether they're coming to the shop like some of the magnites out there, where they're coming in almost every other day. It seems like to just grab even a bag of popcorn. So we seem to have a. A signature popcorn that uh, draws people in for that. No, I don't mind at all. I, th- I think it's great that, uh, that, that I guess I have developed some sort of image out there. I think it's neat. And so, no, I wouldn't mind if you had reached out and said, Hey, you know, it's me, Adam. We spoke on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I was that guy that yeah. had that shitty interview. <laughs> That's sort of what I did. All right. Well, anyway, um, the event, as far as I saw it, went off really smoothly. Um, People were flowing through the office really well. You had a lot of people there helping. Um, and uh, how did it end up turning out? It turned out really, really great. I, I don't uh, have any complaints that I can think of at all. I think a lot of that came from our experience last year when we did the Penguin Lavender Ribbons for the Huntsman. And based on that experience, we were able to take very specific actions so that this year could run even smoother than it did last year. Uh, the addition of two guest artists coming in from other shops, uh, the extra volunteers, and even the uh, spur-of-the-moment uh, stencil girls, kind of were joking <laughs> calling her. She, I'd worked with uh, Amber before, and that's who I went and greeted out on the line that I noticed immediately. I hadn't uh, made contact with her for a couple of years, and to see her out there was a fabulous surprise, and having her come in and say, if you need some help, I would love to help wherever I can. So we, we definitely had uh, some organization that I'm proud of. Yeah, it went really well. And actually, she was a really great girl, too. I mean, really nice and friendly. And it was it was a nice way to sort of be greeted into the process because, it, I mean, it was really had to, it had to be set up as a process. You know, it wasn't right. like the traditional, you come in, you meet the artist, you talk about anything. I mean, this is really, you know, you're cycling people through trying to get allow everyone an opportunity to get inked and stuff. So, um, you know, I, I foresaw in the, in the time that I was there, and I think I was there until a little after noon, you know, the whole time I was like, oh, this is going to be a problem, or this is going to end up being a problem, or that's going to end up being a problem. And it went really smoothly. So I, I was really impressed. And I, I think a lot of the people, I know, in fact, there was two girls behind us that were saying they were there for the events, um, uh, the Huntsman Center event uh, before, and... It didn't go so smoothly uh, as this one. It just took a little bit longer, I think, was their, their comment. A, a little bit longer is kind of an understatement. When I was doing it last year, we had people that were waiting to line up to 10 hours. Whoa! And it was so big and <laughs> so understaffed that we ended up having to go into a second day. We didn't realize how many supplies we were going to be using. Wow. Uh, we didn't realize to whatever extent there was sort of a low-level viral effect that happened across Facebook and the Internet. And so many people had shown up. We didn't realize that when we got there that there were going to be people waiting in line starting about 7.30 in the morning. And by the time we started, I mean, it, it was a complete shock to us. And we did what we had to do to, to accommodate everyone that was in that line and get everyone tattooed last year. But based on that experience, that's why I say that this year we took the extra measures necessary to have a more successful event and something that you wouldn't normally do in the tattoo industry. And that was basically have an assembly line of tattoos yeah. going out the door. Yeah, it, it worked, and and I'm uh, very happy and very proud, and we look forward to doing it again next year. 
Hell yeah. That actually is going to bring me to one of the other questions I had here. Uh, in the future, obviously you say next year, um, what do you plan on doing next year? What, what, what are some other charities that you would like to work for? You know, at this point, we haven't even thought that far. I'm still trying to post pictures from this event, <laughs> yeah. trying to get some video footage together that uh, my youngest ghoul had taken. Nice. And, you know, we, we're, I just barely uh, wrote two articles, one that I submitted to In, which was published today, and another one that I submitted to City Weekly, which I'm going to blow up someone's phone until hopefully they publish that. <laughs> uh, but we haven't even thought that far. Usually around January of the year is when we sit down as a group and start discussing what we're going to do. This year, I think it was pretty well set in our minds that we were going to do the Humane Society. We That was the first suggestion that my wife and I brought up last year. And uh, when someone else uh, that was a part of our team last year had suggested the Huntsman, then we thought, you know what, I think almost all of us know someone or have been affected by cancer in some fashion. So that's why we decided to do that last year. But this year, I think we we're pretty determined to do the Humane Society, especially when my wife regularly does fostering of the kittens and with all the animal lovers, like we discussed last time, that yeah. we have in the shop. I mean, it was it was a pretty easy choice to, to, to choose a Humane Society. Next year, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet, and I'll, I'll worry about that when 2012 gets here. <laughs> yes, I, I can imagine it. It takes quite a bit of planning, and it's got to just drain a lot of energy out of you. I mean, just the whole setting up and tearing down of the event, not you know, let alone actually running the event itself. It does. It takes a lot out of you, but it's so rewarding. It really is uh, to do something like that. I think it's important... To, to give back, especially as a business. I, I believe that all businesses should give back. And uh, it's something that I've brought up before to uh, members of our, of our team. And even when I'm speaking to other entrepreneurs or business owners, I, I think it's something that, it, that a business needs to do, to give back to the community, especially when the community is coming to you and being regular patrons and supporting your business. It's important to give back to them. Yeah. So I, and like I said, it's, it's so rewarding at, you know, by the time you're all finished, especially when it's something like this, uh, when you know that you're helping all these animals ultimately find themselves into new homes with loving individuals, you can't help but feel good when you walk away from from an event uh, at its completion. Oh, yeah. You know, I was, I was looking at that uh, first article the Salt Lake Tribune posted, uh, which was really just like this side-handed blurb about the event. Didn't really talk about anything uh, really in-depth at all. But there's, you know, obviously the Select Trib has uh, some pretty vocal followers in their discussion forums. And I saw at the bottom of some of the comments, people were actually complaining that this was uh, a tattoo rather than just a donation. As if it wasn't an option and as if people didn't just give money for the sake of giving money. You know, the tattoo was sort of helping people draw into the charity event. Right. But these people were actually complaining. The, I say these people because there was like two of them that I noticed. Um, complaining that there shouldn't have even been a tattoo element to it. And what would you say to uh, someone like that? I think that almost any charity event should have something. I mean, even uh, Jerry's kids. Jerry gets out there and has people that come in to perform and entertain for the, for the money that they're trying to raise. I think it's important to have a theme, a shtick, something that's going to help to draw those people in. Yeah. And really, we were donating our time, we were donating our skill, we were donating every bit of you know, of what went into these tattoos, the needles, you know, everything was donated. So, really it was just sort of a bonus gift to say thank you 
for coming in and donating your money rather than just saying, hey, we're having a, a donation-a-thon or something yeah. crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. I, a collecting I, money-a-thon. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, co- I'm collecting money. If you want to just drop by any time <laughs> and just drop off $20, that'd be great, and we'll say thank you. <laughs> I think there's a little bit more to it, and it uh, I, I think it, it develops something with, with all the other people that are in that line. They begin to sort of bond with one another. They'll start talking about, in this case, their dogs, their cats, that sort of thing, and it, it, there's a camaraderie to it. There are people that they're meeting. It's it's far more unique than just saying, come in and put money in an envelope. Come in and drop money into our jar. Yeah. You see that enough at 7-Eleven in the grocery stores. If you want to just drop money into a jar, then then those are the places to do it. So you know, you're going to have those people out there that say, well, I, I'm lazy. I don't want uh, to be a part of this. Well, then fine. Send in your donation to the Humane Society. Thank you very much. You don't have to be. Yeah. Yeah, it, it actually struck me as pretty fucking insulting. I mean... The idea, that, I mean, what, what were you, you know, what, what are the options here? You're, you're a tattoo studio that's running a charity event. What do they expect you to fucking offer? <laughs> you know, right, like, right. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's someone, people bitch about fucking anything. You give oh, them a yeah. glass of water when they're thirsty and it's not cold enough. You know, there, there's always something. So it just, it struck me as weird when I saw it. And so I was just wondering your take on it. No, and, I, and that's absolutely what I agree to. I mean, that's what we were trying to think of. We are a tattoo shop. What can we do? Well, we do tattoos. <laughs> you know, the fucking obvious thing. That's what we do. And I, we just tried to find a unique way to, to do something that each of us could do quickly and and raise some money for, for something that we all stand behind and believe in. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. If, if it wasn't for that event, I wouldn't have met some of the artists that you had uh, down at your studio um, and, and seen your work and their work and stuff. And, you know, I'm going to obviously come visit you for some work I have waiting on me and, and my wife as well uh, because of that event. So... You know, it was great that it helped the um, our animal friends and uh, the Humane Society specifically uh, with with their efforts. Um, but it's it's got to be nice to also just bring in potential future customers and future friends and sort of uh, you know get the word out that that you know you are a talented shop and and sort of just you know the name recognition that comes with being a philanthropist, being someone that helps other people. You know, there, there's there's specifically a business element to that that I know you don't capitalize on, but, you know, it, it's part of what helps, uh, well, I guess, develop a brand in and of itself for a shop or for any business, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to look at that perspective, uh, you can look at any uh, successful uh, entrepreneur or, or go to business literature. One of my favorites is Napoleon Hill. I'm a huge fan of Napoleon Hill's writings. You look at Think and Grow Rich, he has an entire section of his book, an entire principle that's dedicated to giving. And in turn, it will give back to you. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. To say that uh, there is an element that isn't going to help your business by giving it is wrong. It's It will help you. But that's, you know, like you had said, it's not what we were thinking about. But it, you're you're right. I, you know, people come in; they have a chance to experience the shop if they've never experienced it before. To meet the artist and to be a part of the friendly attitudes that we've you know worked hard to develop within ourselves and uh, within our staff, and then they want to come back. They want to come back and have that experience again with that artist within that shop. And even if it's just to cut, like I said earlier, to just come in, munch on the tasty popcorn, <laughs> and, and see see the Adams Family movie, yeah. one of the other bloody movies that we might have playing at the time. I mean, it's you know they, they become attracted to the whole experience. 
So yeah. yes, there is definitely a collateral effect that that you notice, but no, we were there to raise money for the animals, and it's nice to just have the collateral effect. That's that's yeah, where, it's sort of an added bonus. It to is the, just an added bonus. The great feeling of, of actually doing the event. When did you uh, present the check to the Humane Society? It was this past Monday. Uh, Renee and I had gone down there. We met uh, with the director of the Humane Society, presented the check, had our photos taken. And that's when it, I, I think just like last year when we were at the Huntsman, that's when that feeling really hits you the hardest. And you yeah. think, wow, this is incredible. We just did something phenomenal uh, for an, an organization that truly needs it. That's cool. Um, what, what was their reaction? Were they, uh, I mean, they knew you were putting on the event. And so they knew, you know, it was in the mail that you were going to be stopping by and, you know, presenting them. Uh, I imagine he was just, uh, I don't know what, taken aback and just pretty, pretty, pretty pleased or, I mean. Oh yeah. I think more than anything, what takes people back both last year and this year when we're into their respective organizations presenting these checks is they think, holy shit, a tattoo (laughs) shop, you know, not only decided to do this, but was able to raise this much money doing little tattoos on people all day. You know, I think, you're right, I think they're truly taken back and thought, oh, I'll bet they'll raise, you know, a few hundred dollars, maybe a thousand dollars. But when you're coming in with thousands of dollars, that's when they think, wow, you know, that's generally something that's coming from uh, large benefactors and not from something like a tattoo shop. And I think, once again, this is something that I'm proud to say in our industry, you know, we're, we're breaking down barriers and we're tearing away uh, stereotypes, misconceptions about uh, tattoo artists and no longer are we part of a seedy underbelly or, <laughs> yeah, <that's>... or just, <laughs> the, you know, among those people that are rock, walking the wrong side of the tracks. Oh, yeah. You know what? And it's funny because when I was growing up, uh, I was born in 77, so I'm not, like, aged or anything here. But even when I was growing up, the idea of having a tattoo was literally, like, you might as well throw your life away because all doors would be closed to you. You know, that means you're a dirty, disgusting person. And now, I mean, I don't have sleeves or anything, but I've, I've got a, a couple pretty good tattoos, and I'm still successful. <laughs> you know, it, right. it's just that idea that... One thing equates the other. So so tattoos equate failure in life, and it's just so absurd. And, you know, we sort of went through that uh, early 2000 where tattooing was, like, the greatest, coolest, hippest thing in the world. I think we're finally dying out of the, the hipness factor of it. Right. And I would like to think that it's going back to having meaning versus just everyone has a tribal design, you know, <laughs> that, that sort of yeah. phase that, that the scene kind of went through. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's just that idea that, when I think of a tattoo parlor, I certainly don't think philanthropy. I would never think charity, ever. You know, maybe tipping. If you're at like a bar or something, you know, a tattoo is right. do a job, they'll tip a little extra. But that's about it. And so, you know, when I found out about this, I was, I was really just shocked. I was like, what the fuck is going on? You know, there's got to be some other layer to this. <laughs> like, I don't understand why. Because, you know, I've only been back in um, Salt Lake for since 2004 so it's been a number of years that i've been back but i don't ever remember hearing about another tattoo parlor doing anything like this you know there there are other uh shops that do philanthropy projects i can't think of one locally off the top of my head not to say that there isn't i'm sure there probably is 
a shop uh, that does other philanthropy. I think most shops, though, donate gift certificates or uh, T-shirts or other things that they're donating toward various uh, charitable causes. I know probably one of the big ones is Baca yeah. and uh, other bikers that will do runs and rallies for... Uh, various drives, whether it's fallen brothers or whether it's yeah, uh, I've you seen know, those, yeah. yeah children and child abuse that sort of thing, or I've I've also seen rides for cancer, and really you, those are the event, uh, the groups that tattoo shops are most known for donating something toward. But generally, like I said, it, it's a gift certificate toward tattoos, as opposed to having large groups come into the shop or through the shop to to be a part of an event like this. So. I, at least as far as I know in this area, I, I think we're the only one that does that. Yeah. I'm going to have to look into that now, and uh, maybe we can convince some other shops and, and, and maybe even have some competition on who can raise the most money. And, you know, that I, it, it would help everyone else out, uh, you know, in the Valley with uh, any sort of charity work. You know, and I'm not – got to be honest here. I, I'm not big on just help. Like if I see if I see someone on the side of the street with a sign saying, you know, uh, I'm out of work, give me some money. I, I'm not the type of person that donates money to that cause. But if it's something that affects me personally, and this is just sort of you know the selfish part of me, then I have no problem you know doing what I can. Wow, a Satanist that's I selfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Right. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I mean, at some level, you know. I can't shake this idea that I would like to be able to, you know, help people. It's just, I, I just don't fucking want to, you know, no. at, at some level. I, just, I, don't, I don't know what it means. And I think that's why we've so carefully <laughs> chosen uh, the organizations that we have. Last year, like I said, with the Huntsman, my grandmother uh, had fallen victim to cancer. She didn't survive. And... You know, that's something that really affects a lot of us. In fact, uh, just before we got on recording, I know we were talking about it, it affects 25% of the population. That's something that's huge. And knowing that, that's why we chose that. This year with animals, let's face it, animals are, are a large part of the satanic lifestyle. So that became very easy to, to choose to do something for the Humane Society, I, you know, or, or the ASPCA if we had an ASPCA here. That would have been an easy one to choose to, to help out an organization like that. But you're absolutely correct. When I see people on the side of the road, I'm just like you. I think, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Get a job. Yeah. You know, I don't want to help every schmuck that's at that. You know, and there now anymore you see them at Smith's, Walmart. Uh, you know, in front of. I'm yeah, going. Everywhere. I'm going through to get a frappuccino at Starbucks, and someone's begging for my change. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think you know what I did, dude. I worked my ass off to earn the frappuccino I'm sucking down right now. Yeah. Maybe you could do something too. And I'm not saying that people don't end up in hardship situations, but it's not my job to bail them out. Yeah. Nor do I want to make it my job. Fuck them. Um. So I, I think that the same will go in the future also. We will carefully pick and choose those organizations as opposed to just wanting to be charitable or wanting to be, uh, you know, to, to do philanthropy in some fashion. I think we're going to carefully choose which philanthropy we do uh, because I don't want to just throw money at the bums on the street because, yes, as far as I'm concerned, they're bums on the street. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah for real. And, and you were right about saying that. You know, sometimes shit happens and people end up in some pretty shitty fucking situations. But I don't think that means that you can't get yourself out of it. You know, at, at some level, you, there has to be a little bit of personal accountability. So, 
Um, I, I think it's fantastic the work you're doing. Uh, I would absolutely love to uh, be of any assistance for the next uh, one, even if that just means dropping some cash on the table for the next charity you guys choose. Um, I always like to help out fellow Satanists and, um, you know, other people that I consider, uh, you know, the alien elite, I guess I'll say, because yeah. uh, not every Satan or, or not every uh, every person I consider alien elite qualifies themselves as Satanists, you know. I mean, some are just uh, atheists that are uh, strong enough to, uh, or, or just don't have the aesthetic appeal towards Satanism, you know. Uh, but strong enough to be able to proclaim themselves without hiding behind something, you know. I mean, that that seems to be a, a pretty big thing in in Utah. People, and, and I guess this is anywhere because there's such a negative association with Satanism that people try to hide behind online personas or something, or or there's actually genuine consequences to coming out, you know, saying, right. well, "Well, I am a Satanist," you know. And this may sound weird, but I, I personally sort of liken it to um, homosexuals. Uh, you know, in the last 20 years or 50 years or 100 years, where if they come out, there's a lot of negative stereotypes built into that, and they're just sort of pushed down. And, you know, it, it may be a, a pretty shitty uh, comparison, but I genuinely think that... I don't know if that is. I mean, if you, you, know, you can look back at uh, the interviews with Dr. LeVay in Satanus, and he had mentioned that, that you have a lot of people that are going to be living as... Uh, Satanist, but under the guise of other labels because they can't come out. And you uh, have other people right now that that are also doing that for very personal reasons, whether it means their employment, whether it means being chastised by their neighbors or whatever. They can't come out and say, hey, I'm a Satanist. And uh, I just, like, like I said last time, I, I have to be in a fortunate position where I'm my own boss. Yeah. So I'm not going to fire me for it. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of what the neighbors think when on our birthdays or on specific holidays like Walpurgis Night that we we fly the Baphomet flag out in front of our house. And uh, I'm not afraid to have those uh, elements on Facebook that I'll put out there on my public profile specifically. Uh, you know, they definitely show that, yeah, I, you know, I walk the left-hand path. Not everybody can do that. Yeah. But we are seeing a lot more of those people that... Uh, are, are coming out of the depths of hell and, and revealing themselves and letting themselves be known that, yes, I, I am a Satanist, and I think that's fantastic. So I, I, I do think it's sort of like homosexuality, where for the longest time, they did feel threatened, and now you see that coming out, and I think the next wave is going to be us. Yeah. It's going to be us coming out saying, you know what, the day, uh, it, like uh, uh, former member Diablos Rex had said, that uh, the day of the cross is done. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like for sure. It's it's really at the point where we're <laughs> literally putting the last nails in the coffin, you know, we're, we're on the crucifix, <laughs> so to speak. All right, man, well, you know, it, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, I look forward to talking to you about your next event. Um, hopefully you'll be all right with uh, having me down there, and, and maybe, maybe next time I can have the technology to <laughs> go down there and interview some of the uh, the people willing to help. If you'd be all right uh, with that and, and see their perspectives and, you know, the volunteers. Oh, yeah. Whatever the charity is. Yeah, in fact, uh, two of our volunteers are also uh, fellow citizens. So Cool. Yeah, the gal that you met at the front desk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Denny, she's uh, she's one of us. So That's cool. Yeah, I, re I remember talking to her or, or messaging her briefly about in, it. In fact, her and her, in fact, her and her husband 
uh, as well as well as their daughter Katie, are among the ones that went far above and beyond. And they were there with us really, really late Friday night to help us get everything ready and to help uh-huh. the finishing touches on the expanded sign that you get to see open. Yeah. And then they were there with us early in the morning. And in fact, all the way beyond close. And that's why we wanted to celebrate with them next door at the filling station afterwards. Cool. So she doesn't work there. No, she doesn't. Oh wow. No, she's a she's a good you know very good friend of ours. In yeah. fact, we celebrated while Pergersnacht with them. And uh, you know they get tattooed at the shop all the time. That entire sleeve is is my work that I'm that I'm doing right now on her. Nice. Otherwise, no. That's oh, just, yeah. that's just them being good friends and supporting the cause. Well, that's that's fucking awesome. Uh, all right. Well, I I don't want to uh, keep here much longer than uh, you need to be. Uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Uh, I do really appreciate you coming in. It really is a pleasure. And it's an no, honor to meet you no, finally face to face. Right. Um, and uh, you know, for all of you out there, keep your ears open for next year. Uh, there's going to be something else that's going to be great in the works uh, from Art on You Studios and from Storm. Uh, and you know what? I think that's going to cover it. Um, is there any shout-outs you want to give to any of the other volunteers or anything? I think if I was going to give a shout-out, just be to all the volunteers in general. Uh, definitely to those people that came in from other shops. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of it. And, of course, uh, I think my special shout-out would be to Renee, my queen. Oh, yeah. Love, baby. <laughs> it's you're, all damn, about you're, you're damn right it is. <laughs> all right, man. Well, well, you have a good night. And uh, you know what? Uh, Art on You Studios, if you're in Salt Lake, check them out. Uh, they got a big heart, and it has a uh, single bathroom right in the middle. So, uh, you know, do what you can to help them out. That interview was chopped up, and it actually went a lot longer. That We talked about a lot of other great things um, that's, that are going on, not only with the satanic community, but... Um, you know, with Storm personally and stuff. So I'll probably break that off into another segment sometime. Uh, I'm, I'm still tossing around that idea of doing a segment called So You Think You Know Satanist. And if I do end up ever rolling that out, uh, he'll he'll be one of the, the featured members of that segment. So before I get to the interview with Reverend Bill M uh, in the Creature Feature, I have this article that I wanted to talk about that I found found rather interesting. And I think... I think people that regularly watch the show will find it interesting as well, so uh, I hope you'll bear with me here. This is from The Guardian, Stephen Hawking, There Is No Heaven, It's a Fairy Story. In an exclusive interview with The Guardian, the cosmologist shares his thoughts on death, M-theory, human purpose, and our chance existence. Now, because I am going to be going long in this episode, I'm going to just you know, go briefly over this article, and then I'm going to jump right over into Creature Feature. And I'm actually not going to be doing a Bizarre the Bizarre this week, also, because I'm going to be going a bit long here. Uh, the article reads, A belief that heaven or an afterlife awaits us is a fairy story for people afraid of death, Stephen Hawking said. In a dismissal that underlines his firm rejection of religious comforts, Britain's most eminent scientist said, There was nothing beyond the moment when the brain flickers for the final time. Hawking, who was diagnosed with motor neuron disease at the age of 21, shares his thoughts on death, human purpose, and our chance existence in an exclusive inter- interview with The Guardian today. Um, and the questions are pretty much boiled down to this. What is the value in knowing? Why we are here? And he answers, the universe is governed by science. But science tells us that we can't solve the equations. 
directly in the abstract. We need to use the effective theory of Darwinian natural selection of those societies, most likely to survive. We assign them higher value. And they uh, question, you've said there's no reason to invoke God to light the blue touch paper. Is our existence all down to luck? Hawking says, science predicts that many different kinds of universe will be spontaneously created out of nothing. It is a matter of chance that we are in. Another question, so here we are, what should we do? And he says, we should seek the greatest value of our action. He's sounding um, pretty solidly like a Satanist in that statement. Question, uh, you had a health scare and spent time in the hospital in 09. What, if anything, do you fear about death? And he says, I've lived with the prospect of an early death for the last 49 years. I'm not afraid of death, but I'm in no hurry to die. I have so much that I want to do first. I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That's just a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. <laughs> fucking, fucking A right. Um, question, what are the things you find most beautiful in science? And he replies, science is beautiful when it makes simple explanations of phenomena or corrections, I'm sorry, or connections between different observations. And examples include the double helix in biology and the fundamental equations of physics. You should probably check out the article if you're at all interested in Stephen Hawking or other atheists. Uh, you know, Hawking has come out with his own series that I, I think it was only like three or four episodes. Uh, and, and you can imagine someone in his condition, it would be difficult to devote a significant amount of time for a series. So it's not really shocking in and of itself. Uh, but what he speaks to clearly resonate, resonates in um, the philosophy that we share. So it's always interesting, for me at least, because I'm fascinated with space and, and uh, the universe, to hear professionals like him sort of repeat ideas that, that I've shared and, and believed in you know my entire life as well. So it's, it's just something that's a little bit interesting. Um, and so like I said, that's going to be it for the Infernal Informant this week. Let's go ahead and move over to Creature Feature, where we'll... Um, We'll talk to Reverend Bill M. about Radio Free Satan, about Devil's Mischief, and about him. And hopefully you'll enjoy it, and uh, let's go ahead and move on in there. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I have a very special guest in my first of many series interviewing other DJs on the Radio Free Satan network. I thought I would start with the top, sort of the flagship podcast for the entire network, Radio Free Satan. Um, we're talking with Reverend Bill M. from The Devil's Mischief. Reverend, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really a pleasure to have you. I know you're really busy, so I'll, I'll try to keep this short, but uh, I do tend to drag on with my questions and, and replies and stuff, so <laughs> I'll try not to waste much of your time. Uh, I do have a bit of a cold, so that might uh, also cut this a little bit short here. But for those of uh, the audience who aren't familiar with your show, though I can't imagine why any of them wouldn't be. Um, can you, well, first, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. My name is Bill M., and I'm a priest of the Church of Satan. I've been a member of the Church of Satan for about 15 years, and of course a big fan of comedy, big collector of comedy, and outside of comedy, um, I'd say my 
two biggest passions in life are mathematics and music. I'm a musician. I love music theory. Love to sing, buy and collect different instruments, and I love mathematics. Have a bachelor's and master's degree in math. Can't get enough of it, and that probably scares more people more often than the Satanism thing. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right with that. It certainly scares me. Yeah, the, you know, the first time I was exposed to you uh, was in the website uh, of uh, Letters to the Devil, actually, message mm-hmm. board, and I um, posted, uh, you know, the beginning of this podcast, really, um, and, and you had replied uh, really quickly about uh, Radio Free Satan. And I had actually listened <laughs> to Radio Free Satan way back in the day. I say way back in the day, and I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. It had to be somewhere around like 97 or 98, I think. No, we just started in 2000. So really? Regardless, it was probably a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, my... So uh, Radio Free Satan, uh, it's, it's been around since, you say, 2000, which is yep. a, a long time. Um, really fantastic. If you could maybe tell me what started, you know, what shows were sort of the, the beginning of Radio Free Satan. Okay, first of all, I, I'd like to preface that with um, <laughs> sort of an analogy. And I, um, I said, you know the movie AI and um, give a quick spoiler here. At the, the end of the movie, there's, there are those high-tech aliens, and they have absolutely no knowledge of their origins and humanity, and the only people they have to rely on is this one like robotic boy that's just a few years old. That's kind of how I feel at Radio Free Satan. <laughs> uh, I, I, didn't, you know, I wasn't there from the beginning, but I have... You know, I ended up having the longest running show, so you know, I, I sort of um, remember things here and there. Say, hey, you know, we actually used to do this and that. So uh, I do remember Radio Free Satan starting. Um, it got off. We had some technical difficulties, but it finally got off uh, June two thousand, and there were just a handful of shows then. And in podcasting, nobody had even heard of that at the time. We didn't have that option. Most people were still on dial-up, so. It was basically a radio stream, and what it was an audio stream, and so you had to be dialed into the internet and tune into the stream. And we just had the shows on a repeating loop, so you tuned in at different times of the day to hear, you know, different shows. Nice. Um, and, and you know, we had other people come and go over the years. Um, what inspired you to to first start your podcast for the show? Well. The thing, I've always said that I think what everybody on Radio Free Satan has in common is that, you know, we have these audio recordings that we love and we think, you know, more people should be hearing these things. And I think a lot of other people would like to hear them. And so that's the way it was with me. And um, instead of going to, going, you know, down a musical route, I decided to go with a comedy route, you know, comedy and novelty because we didn't have a comedy show at the time, and you know, I've always been a fan of comedy recordings, and I would you know burn compilation CDs for my other friends. So. Nice. This was the chance to go play all of that and let a lot of people hear uh, things they might not have not uh, normally heard on their own. It's been strange because even people um, outside of the U.S especially have been saying like you know because of your show I, I had never heard of George Carlin before or you know these Whoa. other comedians and we sort of take that for granted in the US because a lot of uh, comedy outlets as it is but so uh, The Devil's Mischief is the name of your show uh, and obviously now we've alluded that it is uh, comedy and, and sort of a, a novelty show how, how do you choose the content for your show 
Well, first and foremost, um, you know, if it's something I like, I want to go play it. And, you know, stuff I dislike, I, you know, usually won't even touch. I also try to keep in mind what stuff, um, you know, what's something or what's some comedian I haven't played in a while. Because I try to keep things fresh, keep things rotating and going. Once in a while, I'll come up with a theme, too, and I'll try to pick things that fit into that theme that week. Nice. And uh, so you've been doing this for eight years. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It seems like it was only yesterday I was trying to get this thing off the ground. That's amazing. That's like uh, just one year younger than my son. And that, that seems like a really <laughs> long time when, you, when I put it into that context. Um, what... You know, and ju- just a sort of a, a fledgling podcaster myself, um, is there any advice that you would have? What keeps you going? Um, what, what keeps it so you, you feel like you just, you know, you still have that fire? Well, I think it's just the the amount of material. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people come on to Radio Free Satan or do other podcasts where it's like they start off strong but then end up uh, ending pretty soon, you know, within like uh, a couple of weeks in some cases it's been – and um, the thing for me is that, fortunately, comedy is a really broad category, and I have, uh, you know, almost like a century's worth of recordings to go look back into because I don't limit myself to just the new things. Yeah. So uh, I'm always finding things um, on my own, too, and that's what uh, keeps me putting, putting the shows together on every week. So you must have an incredible library of, of uh, comedy albums. Well, I'm looking over at my... I have a CD tower that's taller than me. Oh, wow. Uh, where I have, um, you know, just dozens of uh, shelves, alphabetized comedy, novelty CDs. I also have stuff I've bought uh, digitally, too. Oh, yeah. And other things I've had to, you know, rip from DVDs or even VHS tapes I had in some cases. Oh, wow. Man... So do you uh, do you ever get content from uh, people, uh, other listeners, sending in stuff or, or recommending stuff? I do. I have. Um, I got a bunch of stuff a couple of months ago from uh, this listener, real dedicated listener, um, goes by the name uh, Coyote. Sometimes uh, Wiley, as his name is, <laughs> thus thus the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sent me a bunch of things that um, I, I, you know, I didn't have in my collection, and some other people over the years have turned me on to other comedians and acts that I didn't know about before. Very cool. So I've, I've gotten some things in there. I've gotten some. I have received some stuff that I just, you know, took a listen to, and I said, uh, you know, I'm not going to play this on the show. Sorry, but I just don't find this funny. <laughs> you know. Anything stand out in your mind? Well. There was somebody who sent me like a bunch of discs, like about five or six discs. Discs of this guy out in Las Vegas. Um, I have them somewhere in, in the pile in my room somewhere. But uh, I, I listened to it and it was like I just don't, you know, like this. It was a lot of hack material, and that was a thing. When I started my show, I was very adamant about that, and that's one of the rules I've always kept: is I don't want to play any hack material. And by hack material, I mean the jokes that we've heard a million times before by other comedians, like, you know, hey, when you're flying on an airplane, you ever <laughs> notice that the food, the, you know... <laughs> I make exceptions to that, like, if it's a really, you know, if it has a unique twist on it, uh, you know, George Carlin did a routine on airplanes and stuff, yeah. but it was actually funny, you know, and had some, some original material in it. 
Or if uh, I played another one from um, Bob Newhart, which was from like 1960. Oh, wow. Um, you know, just to show you how old this <laughs> the show's been going. I'm probably as old as the, the Wright brothers. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but, yeah, but getting back, yeah, there was this guy who, you know, had the airplane jokes and like the Jack Nicholson impersonations. And, oh, no. It, yeah, it was like, no, no thanks. You know. <laughs> Do you ever think of uh, making a show devoted just to really shitty comedy? <laughs> I have actually thought of that. I have actually considered like doing like the hack episode. Uh, yeah. I did. I did do an episode called like the top one percent, where what I did was I took some of those like hack routines, but I actually made the effort to try to find material that I thought was actually funny yeah. about it, and I strung that up together. I did do an episode of the airplane. Jokes too. Again, trying to be very selective about all of it. Yeah. So, uh, how often do you put out your shows? I've been putting them out um, once a week. It's been oh, the wow. usual uh, time span, usual requirements over at Radio Free Satan. Um, <clears throat> there's been some exceptions to that. There has been certain times of the year where we had, you know, breaks, vacation, or technical difficulties beyond my control, right. <laughs> in which case things got, you know, delayed a week, which I'm sure listeners know about that <laughs> recently. Embarrassed <laughs> <laughs> to say. And what do you think are, are the strengths uh, of your comedy show over, you know, anyone else throwing out comedy podcasts? Well, the thing for me is, uh, again, I try to keep the material really fresh. I had a rule in the beginning where I wasn't going to repeat any material and I managed to keep that up for like about a year um, but then I kind of realized like well there are these really great comedy recordings and they probably deserve to be played on the show more than once mm -hmm. so yeah so in my mistake <laughs> but I, I still try to maintain a rule that you know if with the exception of you know best of specials which I'll get to in a minute actually I have one of those coming up this week sweet actually for the people listening to this I guess it would have been out last week yeah yeah the, the anniversary show absolutely mm -hmm. yeah best of the best of blasphemy specials but I mean with the exception of that those sorts of things I try to not you know repeat comedy the same clips every um, I'd say on average like definitely no more than like six months Right. So I might probably, you know, mistakenly or otherwise broken that rule a couple of times, but I keep trying to check every time I put things together. I, you know, I take a look at the search the past episodes. It's like, okay, have I played this? When was the last time I played this? I played this three years ago. Okay, I guess it's okay. To play it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can bring this one back. <laughs> um, is, is there a, a way that people can get back issue or back episodes of your show? That's a good question. Uh, the short answer is no, and it's because of a lot of other. It's because of some, you know, complicated reasons. Um, because we are, you know, podcast show. Everybody, I'm ready for Satan. We have to follow certain rules from the the Digital Millennium Copyright Act of, I think it was 1998. Um, and because of that, and you know, some other factors, I can't make everything available for free to everybody at any given time. Right, right. So, um, that, now, that doesn't mean that once, you know, a show is gone, it's gone forever, because once in a while, um, you know, if we're, we're doing a vacation break on Ready for Satan or something like that, I'll, I'll make another show from the past available. 
uh, I'll pick out a show that you know was pretty popular or got some good reviews on or a show that I thought was really great but didn't get any response from and <laughs> rehear that yeah. I think uh, uh, sort of our community would, would really appreciate the, the best of Blaff's Maze you know being re-released at some time yeah I always make a point of um, not repeating anything between those either so I'm up to number uh, what are we up to 11 I think yeah, yeah 11 this week um, Fantastic. Yeah, but I, I don't. All the material in that is, you know, none of that's repeated from uh, those eleven specials in and of themselves. Um, Twelve and thirteen have actually been recorded, and I did give away those as um, one of the bonus prizes in a uh, one of the Devil's Mischief grab bags. Oh, yeah. Uh, giving out um, once in a while, I give those out on eBay. Maybe doing that again in the future. We'll see. That'd be really cool. I'd like to uh, help uh, pimp it out, so to speak, if, uh, if you'd like. Uh, let people know, you know, to tune in, or when to tune in and stuff. Uh, so, I guess, you know, let's talk a little bit about the future of your show. What do you, what do you see your show growing into, or, or would you like to see your show go anywhere um, else um, in addition to Radio Free Satan? Well, it's... it's crossed my mind. I mean, with Radio Free Satan, you know, being Satanist, we're a minority and it's still sort of a limited audience, but at the same time, you know, I thought, okay, do I want to, you know, expand to some other station where they might say, no, you can't play this because it's offensive or, you know, or you have to play this other thing, so. Yeah, the certain things schedule and stuff. Yeah, um, ideally, you know, it would be nice to expand out and do other things. I don't necessarily want to do an FM, you know, station because again, it's sort of like you know, just limited audience goes by geographical region. Yeah. Um, I would like to do more interviews. I'm hoping to land some interviews this year, maybe next year. I've talked with um, I've talked with Penn Gillette in person. We've actually had him interview Brady Free Satan before on another show that's no longer around. Might be able to get in touch with him for an interview. We'll see. Louis Anderson, I met him out in Las Vegas too. Uh, maybe getting an interview with him. I've already done some interviews, but uh, Bobby Slayton I had. So yeah, we'll see. Oh yeah, let me let me ask really quick about that. So, do, are are they ever taken aback when you when you ask if they want to come on Devils and Mischief? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that you're a Satanist and stuff like that. Like, how do, they, how do uh, comedians react to that? Well, usually it's actually been pretty positive because I've approached, like, a, a bunch of comedians to get uh, station IDs. Right. You know, they say, can, you know, can you read this card? Hi, blah, blah, blah. You're listening to the Radio Free Satan. You know, Devil's Mischief on Radio Free Satan. Um, I, I can't think of, like, too many, like, negative reactions. Usually they just took it and said, you know, oh, okay, you know, and just read it. Yeah. Um, Louis Anderson, when I met him, he he looked at the piece of paper. He's like, "The Devil's Mischief on Radio Free Satan." Is this mean or is it fun? Said, it's fun. So he says, "Oh, okay." <laughs> it's always fun. <laughs> of course, it's fun. That's cool. Besides Radio Free Satan, where can other people find your show? The website for the show, devilsmischief.com. Um, you'll find information about the show, past set lists, and that kind of stuff. Nice. I do have a couple of other sites out on the web. Uh, 
Some of them are really old and have not been maintained. Hopefully people have forgotten about them. <laughs> You're um, not going to go back and uh, refresh them at all anytime? Yeah, but, well, the, the, I do keep up the blog. I still keep up the, the blog, uh, which is a place for my stuff. Dot org and I also bought a place for my stuff.com finally so that will take you there too nice. obviously nice. taken from the George Carlin Carlin album of the same title <laughs> arguably my all-time favorite comedy album yeah one of the first ones ever. my stuff is or my shit is stuff yeah. <laughs> that, that album in particular was one of the only ones or was the only one where he had both a mix of studio and live stuff and it's really unique I actually didn't uh, get into him until his later years, and I do remember seeing like he had a, uh, a TV show. I think it was on HBO or something like that, or maybe it was like a network. And it was, he, did was a sh- he did have a he did have a show. Net- uh, I think it was on Fox or Network, and I got a, I got a couple episodes I taped off the VCR back in the day, and I transferred yeah, it <laughs> myself was, to DVD because he had a show called the George Carlin Show, yeah. which lasted I think two seasons. But yeah, you can. Do a little search online. You can find more information about it. But he did have uh, the George Carlin show. Um, so, uh, like, Hollywood and the Sinister Screen, you don't really keep up on? Oh, Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. <laughs> I was just prison. your yeah. website. Yeah, well, Hollywood was an interesting thing. Um, basically, what I did was... Uh, in, uh, Magister Blanche Barton's book, Church mm-hmm. of Satan which has been out of print, and copies go for, like, insane amounts of money on, on eBay. Glad I got um, it when I did then, jeez. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have seen people spending, like, up to, like, 100 bucks or more for it. But uh, it, included in the appendix of that was a list of suggested movies from The Church of Satan. And out of curiosity, I was looking up these on the Internet Movie Database, and then while I was looking them up, I'll say, well, let me save the links, and... Well, as long as I have the links, let me just put these in HTML. <laughs> and then, like before I knew it, I it was like, okay, I might as well just make a website out of this. So that's what Hel- Hollywood uh, was. I wanted to expand it to include more things, but I never got around to it. And uh, my friend uh, Manchester Paradise oh, yeah. put together the Sinister Screen, which was uh, you know you know much more intensive and had reviews and all that. One thing I did do was I tried my best to take this huge list, which is just an alphabetical order, and sort it roughly by, you know, genre as best as I could. Mm-hmm. We were able to take that, and I think um, when Sinister Screen was created, you know, I loaned that over to Edge to Paradise. Very cool. Yeah, I just started listening to his podcast um, maybe three weeks ago as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I really like. I, I think it's very entertaining. He's he's quite the funny person yeah it's great and just so well done he's uh, such a always been such a great multimedia expert and everything and he even had a show on Radio Free Satan for a while he used to have uh, heavy metal memories oh really uh, yeah that was a that was a fun uh, show it was all heavy metal music and his rule was that it had to be from the 70s and 80s so anything from 1970 to 1989 inclusive anything beyond that not not for the show <clears throat> Very cool. Uh, well, uh, you know what? Once again, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate your time. How can people get in contact you if they want to either collaborate with you or send in suggestions? You can just um, get the email address, bill at devilsmischief.com. You can find me online, um, you know, other places, Letters of the Devil, yeah. through uh, com. you know, my blog. I'm going to have to uh, check that out because I, I wasn't even aware of that at all. 
a place for my stuff.com. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's, that was uh, created out of my uh, sort of my own hoarding problems there uh, <laughs> about a year ago. And it was uh, a little over a year ago, I think. And um, it seems now that like hoarding is like this big news headline thing in this, I don't want to say a fad, but it seems to be a new sort of hysteria. And I was, you know, sort of aware of this before it came about. Um, I don't have like rats living at my home or anything like that. But, <laughs> um, although, uh, what was it? That, that TLC uh, show yeah. was very alive. Before they launched, they actually contacted me. What? Through, yeah, through the site, and they're saying, "Hey, you know, just I think just to like mention the show, nice. um, not to invite me on the show, oh. but I did talk to them later, and they said like, oh, well, it sounds like you know from your blog and stuff, you're already cleaning up and." <laughs> I mean, the way I viewed it is like, you know, I, I took a look around my house and realized, okay, you know, I have entirely too much stuff. I'm a total compulsive pack rat. What can I do to start cleaning this up? Because I want to change, you know, my environment here. I want to change things in my life. And uh, what about doing it? Um, you know, that's really pretty simple. <laughs> um, unfortunately, not that, it doesn't seem to be that simple for people on the TV shows, but. Yeah, well, you know, it's got to be dramatic. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's it's not something you can conquer overnight. And I wonder, like, even on these TV shows, it's like once they clean their house, does it remain like that, or do they just start, yes, know, leaving that... crap around? And you know, is, does does it get back a year or even yeah. less? <laughs> that would be interesting, sort of a, a follow up. You know, where are they now? Type thing. Yeah, I did out of curiosity also go to there is actually a twelve step program called Clutterers Anonymous. Oh, wow. I went, out of curiosity, I went to, like, I blogged about this, too, if you look if you look it up on my blog, mm-hmm. and I realized, like, wow, this is actually still bullshit, that all 12-step programs really are, you know, bullshit, and I would say anti-satanic, because they're all based on the idea that, you know, you're hopeless, and you have to turn to a higher power, and yeah. I obviously took the op- opposite approach. It's like, no, th- this is my problem, and I'm the one who has to go clean it up and conquer it. Hells yes. I've I've turned it into a bit of comedy along the way, though, too, because, you know, I find strange things and I have a category called, you know, why the hell am I keeping this still? (laughs) You know, take photos and it's like, you know, wow, I have this and it's been in my house. Why do I need this? Now that I stop and think about it and look at it, no, I don't need this. I can throw it out. (laughs) I was just scrolling down your blog and I ran across the Taming the Cables from April 26th. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> like I have this is this is exactly like me. I, I I used to you know, from like I don't know, ninety eight on on just sort of piecemeal together my <laughs> own computers and so I just have all these parts like stuffed in a closet. Like someday I might need this <laughs> this yeah. adapter or this cable or something yeah. and so that is exactly like me right there. Well that's the thing I've learned is that that seems to be you know, the attitude and a lot of people who are pack rats is this idea of, you know, wait, I might need that someday. And you know, that's usually the rationalization a lot of people use to keep stuff. But it just, you know, which is fine for the occasional computer cable or a fire extinguisher or things like that. <laughs> yeah. But not, you know, you don't really need 12 used styrofoam cups you know <laughs> hang it with coffee dried at the bottom and yeah. <laughs> I might use this for pens no you're not going to use it if you've had it this long you're not going to use it throw the damn thing out hell yeah that's funny 
a book that I read that was actually a lot of um, a big inspiration for moving forward with this was uh, by this uh, man, Don Aslett, called Clutter's Last Stand. And he's actually a professional cleaner, and he was asked um, a lot on radio shows and stuff how to solve clutter problems, and so he eventually just wrote a book about it. Oh, wow. And um, he's, he's alive. He's getting up there in the years. <laughs> but his uh, secretary actually found my site and uh, contacted me, and I was talking with her. She was glad to see somebody taking the book and using it. Very cool. Well, um, it, you know what, Reverend? Uh, it, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you once again. Um, and Thank for you. everyone out there uh, listening to Nine Cents, get your asses over to Radio Free Satan. You have to listen to The Devil's Mischief. It is truly, <laughs> truly funny, funny stuff. Best of Blasphemy number 11. So, yeah, the Best of Blasphemy specials, for those that don't know, I go back and I just pick out all the you know, the religion bashing stuff, the Bible bashing stuff, and just put that all together in an hour. It's cathartic. Thank you for hanging in there. That interview um, went long as well. We talked about a lot of things, um, and we just, you know, had a really good conversation about various different topics. I might package that up later, um, you know, maybe. um, And uh, Reverend Billam has been uh, kind enough to... Allude that he may be interested in uh, having coming on the show and talking about some other things some other times too. Uh, so look forward to that. You know, I, I sort of broke my rule with this episode in that I wouldn't ever have like more than one interview per episode just so I could really sort of feature that. But both of these, uh, you know, this the Popper Inkathon follow up interview was really a week late um, because I ran the Travis Sewer part two. And um, uh, the Devil's Mischief was sort of, you know, specific about his eight-year episode, which has been airing last week. And so I really just sort of figured, you know, I I might as well just put them both together in this episode and cut down on just my ranting and, you know, feature some (laughs) very interesting people uh, doing some amazing things out there uh, in our uh, satanic world. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can let me know <laughs> if you hate it or if you enjoyed it or if you found something of particular interest in it uh, by emailing me at info at com, or stop by the Facebook page, uh, Facebook slash Nine Cents, and uh, you know, let me know what you think. You can always um, also uh, give me a review on iTunes or something like that. That would, that would be kind of cool. In order to get this show... The first place you should look is Radio Free Satan. RadioFreeSatan.com has a ton of really great shows, not only music and comedy, uh, but now this, <laughs> Nine Cents. And uh, the DJs are really great. The formats are fantastic. The production value is a lot better than mine, <laughs> i got to admit. So you should go over there and check it out um, and, uh, you know, Listen to them and spread the word about Radio Free Satan. Uh, it, it's a really great resource. Uh, also, you can find me on iTunes. I got my website, 9centspodcast.com. I got the Facebook, MySpace, Twitter. It, it's all fucking pimped out. I got everything out there. So, however you want to get a hold of me, however you want to be uh, viewing or listening to the show, I'm going to give it to you that way. Um, I'm, I'm doing my best to really make it available in as many ways possible. That's it for another show. 
Thank you for joining me. I know it went a little bit long, but I think it was a lot more interesting than the regular shows where you just hear me talking. In closing, I would have to say, uh, as always, my name's Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan. <laughs>